Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Mank. And joining us today is our special guest, Daniel Gonzalez. So welcome, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about what you do in the entertainment world? Yeah, I am a gaffer. That's a term probably most people don't understand or know sure. what it is. So the gaffer is essentially the head of the lighting department for films and TV and commercials and so on and so on. So what I do is I work closely with the director of photography and the director and basically create a visual look for the film or, or, or TV series or whatever, uh, as far as the lighting goes. So uh, I usually get brought in early on in prep and I'll spend anywhere from, depending on the size of the project, scope of the project, somewhere between four to six weeks of prep, wow. basically uh, designing the, the lighting for the show and building in the lighting for the show with the director of photography. And I work closely with art department as well. I, I get their blueprints, their plans for different sets and just kind of go over those and figure out what we can do to light different sets, go on scouts. And we look at different various locations and see what we can do to, uh, to make those locations interesting and, and how to light them essentially. Yeah. And so that's basically what I'm doing. I, I spend, you know, four to six weeks in prep, depending on the show. And then once we're actually in production and actually filming, we're, we're not in prep or not in pre-production anymore, but now in production, basically we're on the set and I am in charge of calling out for the lights and, and choosing which instruments we use. Basically, we, we carry a, a, a truck full of lighting equipment and it's just kind of my responsibility to figure out which tool is best for the job. Wow. We call out the lights, set them up and light the actors or light the space, light the environment uh, and so on. So that's essentially what a gaffer does. A term that might actually be a little easier to understand is lighting designer. Okay. Hmm. It's essentially the same thing. It's essentially that is what I'm doing. Okay. But in the industry, our, our term is gaffer. That's what okay. we're called. So how long does it normally take when you're on set to, you know, set up all the lighting? So it's a, it is a number of factors, you know, it's going to be significantly different if it's on a stage mm -hmm. or on a location or if it's inside or outside or a big thing for us for lighting is, is it day or is it night? Yeah. So, and, and all those things will differ if it's day interior, you know, we're going to usually set up lights outside windows and push light into the, the set whether it's outside on location, say uh, you're shooting at a Starbucks or something and yeah. you're shooting lights in through the windows or inside a, a stage on a set that was built, same thing. We would be shooting lights from outside. And so it just depends on what the set is, what the scene is and how long that might take. So like, for example, let's say we have a set that was built on a stage uh, and let's just assume it's a an office set that has windows. Well, in the prep, back to the prep of four to six weeks that I would have, I would look at those plans with the art department and the director of photography. And we would just, you know, discuss like, okay, what are we going for here? Uh, okay, so we want day. So to build day, you know, if you have a window behind you, which I can see, yes. um, <laughs> essentially, what is coming through that window is a bunch of sky ambience, 
and potentially the sun at some point, yeah. depending on what time of day it is, the sun might shoot through. But if the sun's not shooting through, it's still a big blanket in the sky of ambience. Yeah. So we basically recreate that outside a window. So like right now, there's a window to my right. You can see. Yeah. And there's no sun coming in directly because it's overcast here in Los Angeles and we're about <laughs> to get a lot of rain. But right now, it's just a big blanket of light. To recreate that on a set, I would create a big soft source over the windows. Yeah. And that might be several lights rigged up over uh, over the windows that are softer. Maybe we put diffusion under them so that it creates a nice, soft, even light. And then we would have a little further away or closer, but usually I try and get it further away. I would put a harder sunlight source, like okay. a big 20K incandescent light or something to that nature that can shoot sunlight through. And then depending on the scene, what the mood is for the scene, what the tone is for the scene, we decide whether we want just ambient soft skylight yeah. or direct sunlight if we're using direct sunlight we still use that blanket light because even if the sun was shining through this window you still have a sky that is essentially yeah. a huge blanket of soft light with a hard source shooting through mm -hmm. so that's what we would do on a stage for yeah. a day interior. and if it was night it would be totally different we would turn off all those daylight sources yeah. and we'd turn on different lights for night lighting if it's outside say it's a location like a starbucks or what what have you we would do something similar but not necessarily have to build that sky ambient because we have that so we right. would just shoot a hard light through or push some soft light in now, if it's night that's where it gets real interesting yeah. especially if it's exterior if it's a night exterior scene that's really when uh, I have a uh, love-hate relationship with night work. Um, it is some of the most fun things to light because you're essentially starting with a black, empty canvas. Yeah. Right. And then you get to paint. And then it's like, okay, uh, oh, let's cool. add a little bit of light here. Let's yeah. bring up this building here. Let's, you know, give us a backlight there. And you really get to, like, edge things and shape things. And it's a lot of fun with the caveat that it is night. Yeah. So I'm actually coming off of a night exterior shoot. Oh, really? I, I wrapped last night at 4 a.m. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a late night, um, but we were doing that same exact thing. You know, we yeah. had a big condor up in the air with a big backlight pushing back. And then we had a bunch of little lights scraping the buildings and just giving us a little bit of kick in the street. We typically will do a wet down so that the light reflects better in those surfaces, which okay. is why anytime you see a scene in a movie, that is at night it's mm -hmm. typically kind of shiny and reflective because yeah. they usually do a wet down okay and a wet down is when they spray water on everything right spray water on the street and it just yep. looks better you know yeah. and everybody's going to be thinking well why is it always raining at night in movies you know <laughs> but but that's what we do because it just looks better right. on on the camera yeah so, so night exteriors are, are really fun to light i really enjoy them because you really are painting with light. Right. But I don't like to work yeah. <laughs> until four or five in the morning. <laughs> so there's that, that caveat. So back to your original question, how long does it take? It just depends on the scene and the location, yeah. what it is. It could be anywhere from five minutes, if it's a very easy thing to light, to an hour or 90 yeah. minutes. So if it's going to be those longer times, like an hour to 90 minutes, I try and get there ahead of time okay. and go pretty yeah which is what we call pre-lighting. Okay. And I'll try and get there before the company arrives, the rest of the the, the company. I work with my rigging team mm -hmm. and some additional crew members, and we'll try and pre-light it in advance so that when the company does arrive, we're not spending yeah. an hour to 20 minutes just lighting. Because that's, you know, in the movie biz, in film business, it, every second 
yeah. costs a lot of money. Every minute costs a lot of money. So like if you're spending an hour to 90 minutes lighting, yeah, be very expensive. So, you know, my my goal is I'm always trying to get ahead and not have the company wait on us. Sometimes it's inevitable, but if we can prevent that, that's good. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to those longer setups, like 60 minutes, 90 minutes, I try and get ahead, go somewhere ahead of time, pre-light it. If I personally can't do it, I'll send somebody, maybe okay. my best boy or someone else to just go and say, hey, here's what I need. Get this pointing this way, shoot this up this okay. way, do this. Blah, 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 blah. And then when we get there, we'll tweak, finesse and, and dial okay. it in. So it, it just depends on the location and the scene, how long it could take. Sure. Yeah. So what is a best boy? Because that's another term that people don't know. So it's an interesting term. It, it just it's been around, I guess, since the beginning for a long time now. But essentially, the best boy is the second in command. So like in my department, there's the gaffer, which yeah. is what I do. Then there's the best boy. And then from there, it's set lighting technicians. Onward. Okay. There's also a lighting console programmer. And now there's newer positions like a DMX technician okay, and yeah. then the whole rigging side of my department, which is essentially the riggers are the guys that get there before us and set up the lights. Okay. Then we come in and we do like the final like 10, 20% tweaking and finessing. Okay. And then when we finish, when the company first unit finishes shooting, main company or first, first unit finishes shooting, we leave. And anything that was pre-rigged in advance, the rigging team would come after us or okay. the next day and wrap. Okay. So, gotcha. so a best boy is basically he's my he or she is, and it's it is a term where it's called best boy, but it's a he or she. Right. You know, it depends <laughs> yeah. on who that person is. Yeah. But my current best boy, he would basically be in charge of uh, he's in charge of time cards and helping hire people okay. and kind of staying organized keeping the truck organized getting equipment back in you know into the truck organized and all that uh but also helping deal with production because when i'm on the set and actually gaffing and lighting i have no time to really go yeah. step off set and go talk to producers or or anyone else about like hey here's why we need an hour pre-call this day or here's why i need 90 minutes to go light this scene so like i give my notes to him and then he goes and talks to them for me so there is a, a new term that has come up recently, uh, maybe in the last 10, 15 years. But basically, we've, we've tried to change the term gaffer to chief lighting technician okay. and best boy to assistant chief lighting technician. Okay, I still prefer the gaffer term. Yeah. But usually uh, for best boys, it's up to them whether they want to be a CLT or okay. best boy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So can you kind of tell us about your background and how you ended up where you're at today in your career? Yeah, for me, I took a interest in making movies or being in the movies from yeah. an early age. I was pretty young and I don't remember exactly what age, but I I might have been in elementary school. Like I was really young and I was like, this is what I want to do. But I didn't yeah. know what the heck this was. You know, yeah. I didn't know <laughs> what it was, but I knew that I wanted to work in movies. Yeah. So like I remember when I was young, there was a show. It might have been on PBS. I don't even remember, but it was called Movie Magic. And it would just show all these behind the scenes, oh, like cool. makeup. And it was very heavily, heavily influenced or heavily uh, geared towards like special effects and visual oh, cool. effects. Yeah. They would show awesome. a lot of like pyro and explosions yeah. and blood gags and all sorts of stuff like that. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. That's what I assumed I would do when I yeah. when I got into making movies. 
I'd watch that show all the time. I'd have my mom would record it on a VHS oh, and I'd watch it whenever I got home. Yeah. So that was like my first like, okay, I want to do this. Then as I got older, you know, I was in high school and I, I at that time, like, you know, we don't have the resources we have now, like YouTube or Google right. or all right. of that stuff. So finding like, okay, what's a good film school or yeah. what does, you know, what do you do in film? Like, how's this all work? Like, that was not easy. Yeah. Um, I was able to stumble across the LA 411 directory, which I don't know if it even still exists. I think it does, but it was basically this like little black book that had names, numbers, and emails of producers, directors, and people in the business. And you can basically find those people and then contact them. Wow. I was, I was 18 and I knew I wanted to work in the film business, but I didn't know anything about it or anyone yeah. in it. And I didn't know what to do or how to do it. So I emailed, I just literally just cold emailed like 10 people from this list. I just, I didn't know who they were, what yeah. they did. I picked out producers, producers, and I think some were cinematographers. Like I just picked out, I didn't even know what cinematographer meant at the time. So I picked <laughs> out a bunch and I emailed and maybe it was a dozen people. And I got probably half a dozen responses oh, back, yeah. wow, which yeah. is pretty impressive. Yeah. And I told them, I was like, look, I'm, I'm in high school. I'm interested in working in movies. I don't know much about this. Uh, I'm thinking of going to this film school. Do you think it's a good film school? Yeah. Are there any books you could recommend? Are there any, is there anything you recommend I can do? You know, and, and like half a dozen responded back and, and they were like, Hey, this is a, you know, kudos to you for reaching out. Uh, yeah. Cause we have no idea who you are and typically right. I wouldn't respond, but blah, blah, blah. And they did. And they gave me good insight. They gave me some books they recommended and it was really cool. I also found, I found a website that was a, uh, I think it was a special effects guy. And he listed a bunch of like, he had a really negative view of the oh, industry. Yeah. And that kind of gave me a little, it, it kind of turned me off a little bit. I was like, oh man, maybe this is a bad idea. You know, he had this really bad view and blah, blah, blah. And I talked to a friend of mine about it and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe it's a bad choice. And my buddy was like, Dude, that's just one guy. Yeah. Who cares? You know, like maybe he's just not happy. You know, like you, if it's what you want to do, you should do it. So I stuck with it. I found a film school in Florida. I went to a school called Full Sail. Uh, I went there and and I loved it. I had a great time there. Learned a lot. I took advantage of the school as much as I could. I mean, the way that school operated, it basically ran 24 seven, like there were classes literally at 1am and at 5am in the morning. So it was open 24 seven, which meant that if I had a class at, you know, 5pm or 9pm, or even 1am, but then I wanted to continue and just kind of like, stay there a little longer yeah. and practice the work I could. And so at one point, I literally had the keys to the light to the lamp dock, which is oh where God. all the lights were were in a warehouse, and I, I had access to that. And so I was an intern for the lighting department. I had keys to the warehouse. And so I'd just go there all the time and I'd grab lights, wow. set up lights, yeah. play, practice, take photos, you know, and I just did that all the time. That's awesome. And it was, it was really huge, you know, yeah. opportunity because it just let me yeah. keep playing and practicing. Yeah. So, so that was it. So I went to film school there. Uh, when I graduated, I moved out to Los Angeles and I just started working as much as I could. Excellent. That's very cool. Yeah. So what kind of projects have you worked on? So I've worked on everything from commercials, music videos, television, and mm -hmm. features. Features, we're obviously going to talk about Mank. Um, yeah. Real fortunate to work with David Fincher, uh, who's yeah. a fantastic auteur filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, 
had really great collaborative partners. You know, fortunately, I've worked with Eric Messerschmidt, who's a good friend and a, a fantastic cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Just wrapped another movie called The Killer. Currently working on a on a TV show called Winning Time for for HBO. Oh, okay. Tons of television, tons of features. Back when I was a set lighting technician, like yeah. uh, the Muppets and Pirates of the Caribbean and <laughs> Alice in Wonderland and Thor. Uh, so, so, you know, the, the whole gamut of like yeah. big Marvel movies to smaller projects, you know, just kind of a little bit of all over the place. That's cool. So speaking of, it sounds like some of the movies you worked with, um, sort of like things like Thor, probably Pirates of the Caribbean, there's some green screen work, right? And some CGI. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, so we talked, we talked to a stunt person and they kind of gave us some insight on how that stuff is changing their industry. How is that? Does that stuff change your job a lot when you're in front of a green screen versus a set? For me, again, for lighting, right? So yeah. like a perfect example is the show I'm working on now. We have a set that is completely wrapped in 360 degree green screen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. And so, um, you know, the, the green screen thing is essentially if it's too expensive to build. Right. Or if it's too big, uh -huh. you know, meaning like we're we're in later in post in, in yeah. CG, we're going to build a tower that goes up 100 feet. Right. And we're shooting this on a soundstage and yeah. the soundstage is 80 feet tall. <laughs> right. You can't build that. Right. So that's where green screen comes in. And if okay. it's, and again, if it's cheaper or if it's just not really yeah. physically possible, that's where green screen comes in. So okay. for me, uh, what I do with where, what, how it affects me is I just have to light it. That's okay. really it. And I'm lighting yeah. it uh, for the v VFX, you know, people. That's uh -huh. I'm essentially lighting it so that the VFX people can get a good, easy, okay. clean comp out of it. Okay. So that they can say in computer, they can select that green yeah. and say, take this green out and we're going to replace it with this. Okay. Right. So, so the bigger the green screen, the more lights. Right. Which means money. Yeah. Um, and that's really essentially it. Now, okay. you know, 20 years ago and 30 years ago, lighting a green screen was a lot tougher. Okay. Not, not that it was harder, but it had to be more accurate. Right. Technology is a lot better now. So like mm -hmm. 30 years ago, if you were trying to key out green screen that was lit unevenly, okay. you know, if there was a gradient from the top yeah. to the bottom, mm -hmm. it was a lot harder for the VFX yeah. supervisor to key that out because this color green mm -hmm. is going to be different from this one. Oh, it was harder 30 years ago. Yeah. Now... It's a lot simpler. Okay. And, and and this is why I say like my job is essentially lighting the green screen and making sure it's even and it looks good. Um, when you're lighting a green screen, say you're lighting 30 feet high of green screen, but you're looking at it, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's going to be lights here and there's going to be lights here, but I can't put any lights in the center, yeah. <laughs> which means there's going to naturally be fall off because right. these lights can only carry so far and these lights can only carry so far. So there's always going to naturally be some fall off. Okay. And my goal is always trying to make it as smooth and even as possible. Okay. And that's where prep and budgeting comes yeah. in. You know, like They're only going to give us so much money to light this thing and make it even. So like we do our best. Thankfully, it's a lot easier to key now. And yeah. so you make it as even as you can. But if it's not perfect it's still okay the the, the vfx guys can can get a good key out of it and and, and it usually is fine but it, it, it can't be terrible it has yeah. to be good right uh, but it doesn't be as perfect as it used to be okay that's interesting yeah i never thought about that well, that, that makes sense though with changes in technology so i've heard it's much harder to shoot in the middle of the day like noon when the lights directly overhead 
than it is at other times. Does that affect you guys at all? Or does that just mean you're delighted? For differently? Sure. It's, it's, so it does. It's not that it's harder to shoot. It's that it's not as flattering, you know, sure. so like every DP or cinematographer or gaffer would love to shoot in like Norway or Finland or Iceland <laughs> where the sun is like at, yeah. at the like 6 p.m. position all day long. And it just <laughs> right. there and it's, it's what we call magic hour, you know, yeah. basically just before sunset when the sun is really low and you get those long shadows and it's warm and it's nice. Like that's ideal, you yeah. know, because you can essentially like you're as a cinematographer or as a gaffer, you're always wanting to shoot backlit so you can get the sun behind an actor that way, you know, like for now, for right now, you can see I have some side light on me. Mm-hmm. But if the camera was over here and I was looking that way, I would be backlit. Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm backlit, then you get a nice edge light, which is great. And then yeah. you can fill and yeah. add keys any way you want. If the sun is directly overhead, it's not as flattering. <laughs> and now if you wanted a backlight, you have to add one. Okay. And if you want a side or key, you have to add one. And anything you want to do, you basically have to keep adding. Mm-hmm. So when it's new and it's not ideal, we just don't like it because it's not as flattering. Yeah. We'd have to bring in usually a big fly swatter overhead to just diffuse the sun. Mm-hmm. Unless unless that's the look we're going for. You yeah. know, like look, there's Westerns that are like high noon. That's it's true, literally- yeah saying hey it's high noon we want that light right overhead we want it to be harsh and nasty we want it to feel like that but usually we don't want that and we would bring in some softness above and just try and soften that out but if we had our choice we would we would shoot at the right time every day and then just make sure that sun is in the right position so a lot of times when you're shooting day exterior what you'll do is you'll scout it and you'll try and adjust the schedule of the day to where the sun's going to be so we use these apps on our phone and before these apps existed and phones existed you would use like a sunto a a meter basically that tells you where the sun's going to be at the horizon at a certain time and so in the morning you would say in the morning we shoot looking this way east until about let's say 11 10 and then at that point we can shoot over here where there's not so much sun stuff that's important Mm -hmm. and then afternoon we're going to shoot looking west from about you know three or four o'clock onwards and so you schedule your day that way knowing that morning we look this way evening we look this way And that's kind of how you adjust your day when you're shooting day exterior. Yeah. And shooting day exterior is one of the toughest things because you're literally, you're at the mercy of weather and the sun. Right. Right. Fortunately, in in Los Angeles, the sun cooperates most of the time, not cloudy often in a short rain season. Thankfully, we're having a good rain season this year, which we need but yeah. but typically it's very sunny and and the sun cooperates and it's not a problem. But in places where you get lots of clouds or lots of weather, yeah. if you're shooting something that's supposed to be sunny, and there's clouds, you do one of two things: either you shoot it and it doesn't match and it's going to look weird, which is not the goal or yeah. it's not ideal, right. or you literally just spend time waiting, which yeah. costs a lot of money. Yeah. So like, you know, for example, a, a perfect example is a movie like 1917, mm-hmm. right? If you've seen that, but you know, yes. I was shot. You watch it for this show. Yeah, I was shot in England. Yeah, uh, a which is cinematographer, right? And it's yeah. a beautiful movie. But yes, they spent so much time just waiting on weather so that it would match because yeah. the, the movie the movie was supposed to be one whole shot the whole time, right? And if right. if in that one shot it's sunny, and then in the right. next time you would take <laughs> it's now cloudy, it's not going to match. So you right. have to wait till it looks the same so it matches, depending on the budget of the movie or the show you might have that that ability to wait 
sometimes you don't. And sadly, it just doesn't look right because yeah. you cut from one shot that's cloudy to one shot that's sunny. And you're like, wait, that's different. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the challenge of a uh, day exterior. If you get it right, it's fantastic and it looks yeah. amazing. If you can't or if you don't have the time, that's where working in post is is going to be your friend and and trying to have a you know the digital intermediate or a colorist essentially help shape and take away some right. light or add some okay. you know? but you guys aren't involved at, at in post are you myself uh not too often no okay. uh cinematographer is heavily sure. you know yeah. cinematographer will be and depending on the cinematographer uh sometimes he'll invite me along and i can okay. go and watch but me myself i'm usually not involved in post okay no. Cool. So talking about all the different formats you've been a gaffer on, do you notice a lot of difference between, obviously time will be a difference, but like between lighting a commercial versus a feature film versus television, are there any kind of trends there that you find a lot of differences between those or is, you know, it just depends on the, the show, whether, you know, what the feature might be, what the tone of the feature might be. And same with the television show, what the tone of that is Uh, on a commercial, depending on the scope and size of the commercial, you know, if it's a one day commercial, you're obviously not going to get the time that you would right. have to prep it or to light it that you would on a feature. Yeah. So like, let's say a feature has a schedule of three months of shooting, mm-hmm. you know, I might get four to six weeks of prep. Okay. And that's where you're basically designing all the lighting for the yeah. sets that are being built and the sets that you're scouting, the location sets, essentially, and you're building okay. that in budgeting and you're trying to get a budget of here's the cost for this set here's the cost for this set blah 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 for for lighting for these sets you know and so you have a lot more time uh and you have to have that for for a feature because right. you have to get that locked in in advance yeah. it'd be the same for a television show the only difference is on a television show your 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 schedule might be six months of shooting yeah. so now it's a lot longer so now you got to make that money last even longer because it's mm-hmm. just a longer time um, and then a commercial, it just depends. It could be a one day commercial. It could be a 30 day commercial. It okay. just depends the scope of the, uh, yeah. the campaign. Okay. And if it's a bigger one, like a 30 day one, then yeah, you're going to have some time to prep it and to rig it and light it in advance. And if it's okay. just a one day, you're basically going to get there, unload the truck, yeah. run power, get the lights, light it, shoot it, wrap it, you know, so it just, it just kind of depends. Yeah. So how does it work when like you don't get that prep time, right? Maybe there's a change in the script and all of a sudden there's a new scene and they sort of throw that at you. Does that happen a lot? Um, and how do you guys handle that? It surely does happen. Yes, it can be anything. It could be current situation, right? Currently, we're dealing with COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An actor can test positive for COVID and all of a sudden, hey, we're changing. <laughs> we're changing yeah. gears. We're pivoting. We're right. not shooting this scene because he's not here. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to do this. Okay, cool. (laughs) And then fortunately, in a scenario like that, like everyone understands like, hey, we weren't supposed to do this. We weren't supposed to be ready for this. So we're going to need some time. Mm -hmm. And they'll usually allow for that time to get it ready. So like it might just mean we're going to a different set, a different scene, etc. Or weather, you know, weather's always a factor let's say you're scheduled to shoot day exterior and it's supposed to be sunny and you've already shot scenes that line up with the scenes you're going to shoot that are day exterior that are also sunny, but this day it starts to rain or snow or whatever. Mm -hmm. Clearly you can't shoot that. So you have to pause and punt and move somewhere else. And so it's just a matter of like, okay, we, we pivot. 
you know, our business, I think what we do, we're all really good at like, okay, we got to pivot. We have yeah. to change. We have to change gears and go here now. Like what's this saying? It's, it's not called the movie business for no reason. Cause you're constantly moving and moving yeah. right, things. Right. So like, you know, if you have to go from a day exterior, all of a sudden you go to a set, well, you go to the set and you just do what you can to get it lit knowing that the producers and the director and the DP, they all understand like, Hey, we weren't supposed to do yeah. this. We know it's going to take longer to get it done and, and they'll allow for that time. doesn't mean they're happy about it, right. but yeah. they understand. They, right. they get it. They, we weren't supposed to sh shoot this today. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you have any particularly challenging lighting jobs you've done? Do you have like one that stands out? Sure. Last year, I finished a movie called Devotion. Okay. And we had a scene that was a night exterior scene at a battle it was a battle scene at a, a base and it's supposed to be in north korea it take the movie takes place uh during the korean war and we had a lot of lights placed out it was at night and we had a lot of data you know tons of different channels running okay. different effects and so we basically had like a bunch of lights that were creating uh effects like gunfire machine okay. gunfire yeah. that kind of thing explosions and so to get that programmed and to get those effects running accordingly you know we had a full night of pre-lighting before wow. shooting and it was challenging because it was wet and raining yeah. and there was just a lot going on and to get that all working properly uh it, it just takes time thankfully yeah. the rigging team did a great job it all worked out it looked really great in the final product but i definitely tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist yeah and I, I usually usually leave pre-lights unhappy <laughs> uh, just because it's not perfect right but by the time we get to the shooting day it's usually closer to what I I wanted or okay. I was hoping to get yeah and uh, yeah in that situation like that day of the pre-light I was really frustrated because it wasn't all working we had yeah. some technical issues <laughs> some lights weren't turning on some of the effects weren't as good as I was hoping but we did, I'd say, like 90% of it there during the pre-light and then the last 10% tweak on the day of shooting. And, and okay. it looked good. And at the end, the final the final image, yeah. the final product worked out really well. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. That's very cool. So do you have any moments from your career that are either just a favorite moment or like a really unbelievable moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living? <laughs> there's, okay. So there's one thing that comes to mind that was okay. just... Is a little bit bonkers, uh, and it was when I was a set lighting technician on Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, we were shooting in Hawaii. We were shooting on the boat, the actual. Oh, nice, uh, yeah. The one that I did was, uh, it was the fourth one. And so we were on Queen Anne's Revenge. Uh -huh. That was the boat we were on. That was the ship. And fun fact, that same ship is, the, it's the same exact ship. It was Queen Anne's Revenge, which was Blackbeard's ship in, in Pirates. Uh -huh. It's the same ship from Master and Commander. And oh, I really? That. That's cool. Oh, my, cool. It's one of my absolute favorite movies. So awesome. when we were that movie's awesome. Ship, I, was, I was so excited. I was like, <laughs> this is a really cool ship. So one day we're filming on that ship. We're in Hawaii. We're we're shooting scenes that we're at sea, but really we're just off of the dock and yeah. you can't see land. So it works. Right. But we kept getting all these storms coming in. And we fortunately had a guy that was positioned like, I don't know how much further out, but not even a mile out, maybe yeah. a half a mile. Out. He was on a barge with some lights and a generator that were helping light atmosphere. So he was a little further okay. away. And we were downwind of him. And every like few minutes, he'd get on the radio and say, weather, 
weather incoming and we'd know oh shit we have weather yeah. so he would call it out we'd start batting down the hatches and getting ready for some weather weather would come it would pass cool he'd get on the radio weather weather would come pass and this kept going on for a while then then at one point he's like this is really bad it's getting really bad now guys and all of a sudden this crazy storm came and at that point the the gaffer got on the radar like everything comes down everything comes down take it down take it down and we're like running on the ship taking lights down hammering lights to the deck condors are coming down things are just oh getting God. shredded the oh wind God. and the rain is just pounding us and we're all just like doing as much as we can as fast as we can as safely as we can but we're all laughing at the same time because it was like <laughs> this is insane this is <laughs> crazy. crazy yeah yeah it was a lot of fun but it was one of those things where you do have to respect you got to respect nature i mean that thing yeah, that, yeah. that storm just came out and it was right. it was wild it was but it was fun i will say That's- that's <laughs> a really cool story. It sounds like you got a little bit of experience of what it's really like to be on a, sh- a ship in a storm. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really fun project, man. It was a lot of fun. It was yeah. really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Danny, before we move on, we got one more question for you. And that question is, what advice do you have for people who are interested in getting into either lighting or just the entertainment world in general? I would say uh, if it's what you want to do, pursue it. Don't give up and definitely, definitely go for it. A lot of people ask whether you need film school to do what we do. And I would say the short answer is no, you don't need a film school to do what we do, but it definitely helps you and it'll probably speed up your career. If you have that knowledge, if you know what it takes, not just in whatever department you want to work in, you know, whether you want to be a makeup artist or a costumer or a grip or lighting or cinematography, camera, producer, director, writer, anything. Knowing all the other crafts is going to be beneficial because you understand the process. You know, some people want to be a director, but they haven't necessarily spent time doing any of the other uh, crafts. And they don't understand, like, if you as a director ask for this thing to happen, cool. Mm -hmm. Now the DP will turn around to another person and say, here's what I want to happen. Then say that person's me. Then I turn around to my guys and say, here's what I need to happen. And then those guys get, so it's like this huge chain of command. It's like, it's going to take time between point A of here's what I want to point B of we got what we needed. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it takes time. And if you don't understand that entire process, you're going to be frustrated and be like, what's taken so long. It's one of those things where it's like from the time you think it to the time it gets done, it's just going to be some time because it's it's just a lot of people to make that thing happen. So if if you want to work in this business, pursue it, go for it. You really should. Uh, Film school is extremely beneficial, but not necessary. Mm -hmm. Thankfully with the internet now, man, you can get on YouTube, you can learn quite a lot, you can get on Instagram, follow all sorts of different accounts that have, you know, behind the scenes and all those things. Right. And then at some point, you'll have to make a decision where you want to live, because that will, that will be a huge thing. You know, when I got in this business, I moved to Los Angeles, because that was the place to be the second place would have been New York. Yeah. Now there's a lot more opportunities, you can go to Atlanta, you can go to New Orleans, you can go to other places. Mm-hmm. I still think and and it is the case LA is still the, the yeah. most is the busiest place to be. It's got the most opportunities. Right. And there's going to be the most filmmakers here, you know, like you can literally go to any coffee shop on any day and you will hear people talking about 
a project or a yeah. screenplay or something like it's just like that here yeah but yeah. it's not the only place it's it's like you know in the 50s if you wanted to be an auto uh if you wanted to work on cars and build cars you went to detroit right that's what it used to be like in la now there's other options which mm -hmm. is great but at some point you know if you're living in a small town in tennessee or a small yeah. town in florida like where i grew up you're gonna want to move somewhere where there's a bigger heavy heavier film presence Let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing the 2020 film Mank. It was written by Jack Fincher and was directed by David Fincher. It stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, and Lily Collins. So Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What's this movie about? So this is pretty much a true story. It's just based on Herman Mankiewicz uh, and writing Citizen Kane. So this is the story of how he wrote the movie of Citizen Kane. He's writing it obviously for Orson Welles. Uh, who we also meet in this movie, though he's not, he's definitely not the main character. Um, it definitely focuses on Herman and his process for writing. And like Sidney Kane, it kind of goes flashback to flash forward, back and forth, um, right. shot in black and white. Just a really interesting telling of a true story, which I appreciated. Um, it was really interesting. So we kind of see at the beginning, he gets into a car crash, which leads to him having to write Citizen Kane completely from his bed for a long time. Um, and that's when we really see the story unfold of the flashbacks that influence the different parts of his script. Yes. So. And so, Danny, you chose this yeah. movie for us to watch today. Why did you choose Mank? So Mank is a very special film, not for me, but just in general, I, I think it's a special film. So first I'll say, you know, this is a film David Fincher has wanted to make for like 20, 30 years. Yeah. You know, it's, he's wanted to make this for a long time. And so it's a very personal film for him and it was really special. And that definitely showed. Uh, it definitely showed in multiple ways. For me, the second I wrote, I, I read this script, I knew that we would be uh, embarking on a really special journey. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew that we had a really good chance at making something that was going to get a lot of uh, recognition and, and awards, possibly. It was really, uh, I, I love the script. And I, I really think this film is a perfect, like, companion piece to Citizen Kane. You yeah. know, Citizen Kane... Yeah is regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. Mm -hmm. I think it, it is quite a, a, a great film. It's beautiful. The cinematography is incredible in, in Citizen Kane. Uh, what they did at that time was revolutionary, yeah. and it is a masterpiece of a film. Uh, and this is, I think, a really perfect little companion piece yes. to you know the making of that movie, mm -hmm. uh, in, in a sense. So <laughs> it's a movie that, for me, career-wise, it, it's definitely, it's the movie I'm probably the most proud of. It, it is. Yeah. I can't say there's anything else. Just, uh, you know, it ended up winning the Academy Award for Cinematography. So, you know, my friend Eric, uh, the DP, Eric Messerschmidt, mm -hmm. he, he won the uh, the Oscar for that. And, and that was a huge, like, that was just a huge thing, you know, like, yeah. it's something that we've always wanted. We, you know, we chased for and, and just, mm -hmm. like, you know, to be able to get get to that place is pretty incredible. So yeah, it's, awesome. <laughs> it's a it's a special film for me. We had a great time lighting it, and it was also like one of the hardest projects we worked yeah. on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> being being that it was a passion project mm -hmm. for David, you know, it it was really hard. It was yeah. really stressful because you know he had this movie in his head for thirty years. Right. He knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly what frames he wanted, and. As a director, you're basically trying to get the image that's in your head across to a crew of anywhere from 60 to 100 people. Yeah. You're right. trying to get 
that image that's in your head across to all these different people who might be looking at or have different images in their heads. And you're trying to get your point across to all these different people and trying to make that happen. And so it can become really frustrating to a, to a director if you're yeah. not figuring out exactly what it is he's talking about. And like I said, he's had this picture in his head for 30 years, so he knew exactly what he wanted. So there were definitely some really hard days on this movie because yeah. he knew what he wanted. He wasn't getting it. He wasn't happy. And it, it was hard and it was stressful. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I think we made a really beautiful film. Yes. And I'm extremely proud of it. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a great companion piece to Citizen Kane. Yep. The parallels and how it's made and also the story, really, really interesting. Um, I gained new insight on the movie just by watching this one of Citizen Kane. So that's oh, totally. really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, I think this movie makes more sense if you have seen Citizen yeah. Kane. I yes, think, You know, I think, I mean, I've seen it many, many mm-hmm. times. I know you have too. If you had not seen it, I think you might be a little bit lost or or some of the things might just not... Yeah, you might miss some things, but I still think the characters are really interesting to watch, even without that background knowledge. And obviously, visually, it's really stunning. As far as the black and white, is it, are there challenges with lighting a black and white when you know it's shot in black and white versus color? So first I'll say, I love shooting black and white. And I would I would love to shoot everything in black yeah. and white. I I had so much fun uh, lighting this movie, and and I've always loved shooting in black and white. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I loved it. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily more of a challenge. There's okay. more. There's a lot of things you have to do. You you definitely test clothing. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, paint set, you know, paint on sets yeah. and all those things. You test those out to make sure, to see how they're gonna look yeah. tonally on a, yeah. on a black and white image. But there's a lot of things that were so much easier. You know, if you're shooting a color film, a lot of times I'm trying to match different sources to be the same color. So like if again, I'll use the window example right now, the light that's coming in is probably like seven or eight thousand Kelvin. And Kelvin is just a, a, a scientific color uh range that we use uh determining the the color temperature of a light source. So the lower the number, the warmer, and the higher the number, the cooler. So think if it's a low number, it's red. And if it's a high number, it's blue. Okay. Okay? So typically this might be 7,000, but if the sun was also shining, it would be 7,000 for the ambient sky and maybe 5,000 for the sun. Okay. Okay, That's just a number. So if I was recreating this on a set, I would have to try and get those colors to be the colors we want. And then let's say I now had lights inside the set and I wanted the light that's lighting the face this way to match the light that's coming in through there. I have to either add gel or I have, if it's an LED, which it typically would be, because that's primarily what we're using now, I would make that LED match that other color. Yeah. In black and white, I'm not doing that. Okay. I don't have to worry about that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The, the one thing we did do as far as LED, uh, color on lights is we tested uh, daylight versus tungsten okay. uh, in LED form. So like we had LED lights set to a daylight color, which we would usually say we'll start at 5,600 Kelvin. Okay. So we tested 5,600 Kelvin light and then we tested 3,200 Kelvin light. And we found immediately that the 3,200 Kelvin light looked immensely better significantly better on skin tones like okay. the the 5600 kelvin looked almost like zombieish very okay. pale and yeah. looked good so we knew immediately from testing that we were going to use warmer okay. 3200 incandescent color lights so as far as uh is it harder um 
I don't think it's harder. I think it's more fun. And I was, like I said, I was able to use any color light source and it didn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And you can just turn it on and it's like, okay, it's around 4,000 Kelvin, but it doesn't matter because it reads okay. It reads yeah. good. So it also gave me the ability to use certain lights that would not look good uh, if we were shooting color because they okay. might be too green or too yeah. magenta in color uh, on camera. But in black and white, it doesn't matter. And yeah. thankfully, they were bright enough that we were able to use them for a, a scene. We shot a bunch of stuff that was day for night. Okay. You guys know what that is? Yep. So it's essentially, yeah, you're faking you're faking uh, nighttime during the day. And right. so we shot a bunch of scenes. They were day for night. And I put these lights that were uh, really bright, but they would have been very green. Okay. On, on color. And I put them right in a in a lamp in the frame and it felt like they were on because they were bright enough to compete with the daylight. Mm -hmm. And because you didn't have to worry about color, it just looked like it was a light that was on and you were able to make that balance look like it was actually night and these were on. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that much of a challenge. The, the biggest thing, like I said, was the testing at the beginning, knowing that the 3200 Kelvin looked better on skin tones yeah. and then just checking different costumes and, uh, and paints of sets, you know, like we would just test that, look at that and make sure that, you know, these color tones look good. That's cool. That's mm -hmm. very cool. You guys did a fantastic job. The film yeah. looks amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And I love, you know, it's obviously shot to look somewhat similar in cinematography to Citizen Kane, which is a yeah. cool reference. But I was so shocked by the story of this movie, whereas like, you know, I expected it to be about Hollywood, which it is. But it's also about the political history mm -hmm. of Hollywood. Um, and how, you know, Mank is working for members of the GOP at, you know, at his studio who then runs for governor. Um, and, you know, he himself is is a socialist or I don't know if you call himself a socialist, but he he certainly leans, seems to lean that way. Yeah. <laughs> so and so he's uh, the opposite of. Yeah. And so he's he's definitely arguing with folks that he works with and that it. You know, seeing those consequences play out and watching him be frustrated, but also sort of having to deal with being like, you know, the often the smartest guy in the room um, and, you yeah. know, constantly talking, mm -hmm. constantly making jokes. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's more, you know, Gary Ullman in this role is great. Oh, he was great. He's, yeah. he's one of my favorite actors and he just does a fantastic job as Mank. I mean, all the actors in this are good. Yeah, but I he, think everyone does a pretty he owns incredible it. job. Yeah. yeah, he was great. I thought Amanda Seyfried was fantastic. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they were all great. They performed so well. Um, yeah, it's... Man, Gary was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, going back to what you were saying, it was interesting because, you know, at that point, Hearst owned like, I forget what the percentage was of newspapers, but I mean, he basically controlled what you right. read. Right. Yeah. And so if he put it in the paper, you know, people were reading it. And mm -hmm. if you're reading it, you might actually think it's true or not, whether right. it was or not. He he was that powerful. And, you know, Mank was essentially saying, hey, this isn't, this isn't okay. It's not okay yeah. that this guy's powerful. Like somebody's got to. Somebody's got to say something. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I don't think I realized that conflict. I mean, watching Citizen Kane, I didn't realize the history behind it and like the right. risk he was taking writing the script, like and yeah. the power he was taking on by writing the script. Oh, yeah. They, you know, like that's why when the movie was finished and even while it was filming, like because Hearst was such good friends with a lot like Louis B. Mayer and a lot of those other guys, like. Yeah the movie almost didn't happen yeah because they knew they're like he's writing a movie about us right and Hearst <laughs> was so powerful he's like i don't want you writing this so like mm -hmm. 
it's really a great thing that it was able to be made and released because yeah. that guy was powerful enough to shut it down and he mm -hmm. almost did. And thankfully yeah. it didn't happen. Right. And it shows how good that they all thought that movie was that they were also willing to be like, well, I guess so. <laughs> I guess we're going to make it. And yeah. yeah. And it's also sort of about like the start of political ads. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's like yeah. a huge plot point in the movie yeah. is, is having these uh, these guys who don't necessarily believe in this cause, but they have to, you know, sacrifice their ideals to to have work, and then they, they make something, and then of course that has consequences. That I don't want to spoil, yeah, um, but has huge you know implications on the on the movie, um, and so you know it's just just fascinating part. Not only is is the movie beautiful and it's well written, mm -hmm. but like the the subject matter is just fascinating and a, yeah, a strange story. point in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, a fun cameo by Bill Nye. Yes, <laughs> yes, Sinclair. that was so cool. <laughs> I was, was watching really it cool. and I was like, "That's Bill um, Nye." <laughs> I think he's yeah. only yeah. in that one scene. Yeah, he is. He's only in that one scene, yeah. and it was funny because like we're all like, "It's Bill Nye." It's like you know, <laughs> we're, we're working with Gary Oldman, but yeah. we're like. It's Bill Nye, <laughs> you know, like it was just really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that is so yeah. cool. It was really fun to like realize who that was and like yeah. what a perfect role. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he was great. Yeah. Susan, did you have a favorite uh, scene watching the movie? Definitely. When, so they're at that party at Hearst's house. Yeah, that seems and great. And then um, Amanda Seyfried and Gary Oldman uh, leave to go on that walk. I loved that walking scene. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Past all the parts of the house and like. Is was that a a day to night shot? Because there were parts. Yes. It looked like an old an old movie. Like it looked like yeah. nighttime in an old black and white yes, movie. Yes. Um, which was yeah. really cool because I was like, I can't actually tell what time. Like I know it's nighttime, but like there's it was. I thought that was really well done, and I loved just the chemistry between them and them chatting, and then also the visually it looked really cool. That was probably my favorite part. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun, and that's where I was talking about with some of those uh, those lights that we put okay. in the frame that were yeah. lighting up. And they were powerful enough to make you feel like, oh, it's night because those yes. lights are on. Yeah. Um, so a few of my favorite scenes, you just mentioned Bill Nye. Like, I really enjoyed that scene. It yeah. was really beautiful to photograph. We did a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, I thought it looked gorgeous. And I wish I could have images to show you guys as far as like a uh, the, the rendering that David had made of what he wanted and then the final product. Because mm -hmm. like how close we got from the yeah. rendering he wanted to what we made. It's like, we were pretty happy. We're yeah. really proud. It's like, it's pretty damn close to what he wanted. And it looked beautiful. So I love that scene. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of office scenes that I loved. Um, there's the, uh, the cigar scene where they go meet Oselznik. And I just thought it was just so funny. Like, yeah. basically, it's all these writers meeting David Oselznik. Yeah. And they're just bullshitting, yeah, making up. That was a, a great script. scene. <laughs> and it's just like, and then they're like, uh, and Charlie, tell him the rest. Yeah. And he just starts right. bullshitting too. And it's like, yeah. they're just making this up. And he's like, I don't know if this will work. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Tons of this, a lot of the scenes with like uh, Thalberg in the office, just I love the way the lighting looked in them. Mm -hmm. um, some of the scenes with scenes with uh, Shelby in the projector, him and Mank in the projector room or yeah. Shelby in his office. I just, yeah. again, there was just a lot of things that I loved. The, the things we did with lighting, we really went for it. We're, trying to be really bold yeah and, and it was just really fun so those are all scenes that i really enjoyed so again going back to this being a really good companion piece for mank mm -hmm. you know when they shot mank it was 
it's funny because a lot of the things that they did in Mank, I'm sorry, in Citizen Kane, a lot of the things they did in Citizen Kane were because Orson Welles just didn't have a filmmaking background. Right. Yeah. So he, he talked to his director of photography, uh, Greg Tolan, and was like, hey, uh, how come when we're shooting stuff, a movie, you know, I can't see all this stuff. It's like there's this thing in focus, but everything else falls off. He's like, you know, because he came from like screenplays and right. not screenplays, right. but from um, radio, uh, theatrical. Yeah. And so radio and theatrical. And so he's like, you know, I, my eye, I see everything in focus. And Tolan was like, oh, well, we can do that. And they basically developed a way to shoot. You know, they shot in really deep stops. So they closed the iris down, which allowed them to have a really deep depth of field, which is why the movie looks the way it does. Mm -hmm. That's really cool, but yeah. it's extremely challenging because it just means you need a ton more light, a lot more light to expose the film at that really deep stop, which gives you that long depth of field. So we did the same thing for our movie. We had the advantage of being digital. Yeah. So right. we didn't need as much light as they needed back in 1940, mm -hmm. but we still needed a lot of light. So we lit really bright to get that really deep stop yeah. and that was really that was a really fun challenge and it was really fun and cool to play with you know mm -hmm. uh, it, it gave it that same like long long lots of depth of field look that, that citizen kane had yeah interesting that's really cool did you have a favorite scene um yeah i mean i love this movie i think the scene where the studio head is talking to mank and um the new guy and, he, and he's just like telling them like the, the three rules of of Hollywood oh, while, yes. while they're walking through the studio. Yeah. The long walking. That's yes. fantastic. Yeah, yeah the, that seems great. And I'm sure it took a million takes to get that right, but it really that works well in the film. Um, and then he goes in and talks to like the whole studio yeah. staff and he's like, oh yeah, we got cut salaries. That was beautiful. Yeah. Cut salaries. Yeah. And, you know, and make is just watching them do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that scene was great. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. I also love the uh, the cicada room. Well, uh, the cicada room is what the this actual set was, but in the movie, it's the Trocadero Club. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that the, was cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was. I thought that was really beautiful too. That was fun. And the first time, honestly, the first time he meets Orson Welles in the hospital, yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, you that know? seems kind of crazy. You get this, it's like yeah. shadowy figure yeah. coming up, and he's just like, Merk. Uh -huh. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like this ethereal being at first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he kind of is the whole movie. Right. Yeah. You really don't see him that much. Um, this definitely is not a movie about Orson Welles, despite it being about. No. Yeah. 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 Right. And it, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler, but he's kind of the villain at the end of the movie, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. well, yeah. yeah, I mean, who's been his partner all along? Yeah, and that's another thing I didn't realize. I didn't realize there was so much contention between the yeah. two of them. I like after yeah, yeah. so many times I've seen Citizen Kane. I've never, I guess, I've never really looked into the history of the actual making of the movie. So it was really, I mean, I really like movies based on history, like history. So this was really just cool to watch and like fill in the gaps and yeah, like a behind the scenes yeah. look at that script being written was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for not only suggesting it, but your excellent work on it, Danny. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Fincher's Familiar Films. We're going to see how well both of you know the films of David Fincher. So, Daniel and Susan, you guys are going to be playing as a team. Here are the rules. I've given each of you a list of David Fincher movies. You will take turns describing the movie's characters, settings, and plot to each other as quickly as you can, but you cannot use the title of the film. You have one minute. 
to get your partner to guess as many as possible. And if you get five correct, then Danny will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? It's some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a mug or a T-shirt or a tote bag, something like that. We'll send you something <laughs> in the mail. All right. So, Danny, you have chosen to receive clues first. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right, Susan, you ready? I'm ready. All right, I will start the clock as soon as you give your first clue. All right, so this movie stars Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Uh, Fight Club. Yep. Fight Club is correct. <laughs> it's one. Go ahead, Danny. Okay, this is with Ben Affleck and his wife uh, has gone missing. Oh, Gone Girl? Yes. Yeah. Two yeah. points. Um, all right, this is Michael Douglas, and he's... Uh, the game. He's a, yes, yep. the game. Two points. <laughs> okay. Uh, this was a famous like Scandinavian novel. Uh, it has uh, Daniel Craig and uh, da, 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 Rooney oh, Scandinavian. Mara. Is it Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yes, four points. Okay, awesome. Uh, what's in the box? <laughs> That's a quote. Uh, from yeah. Yes, oh, five points. You won, but keep going. Uh, this is the, uh, I think I can say this, the Facebook movie. Oh, um, so is it called Social Network? Yes. Yeah. Um, Six points. Oh, okay. This movie, um, it's Jodie Foster and her and her daughter. Uh, Panic Room. Yeah. Panic Room, yeah. and that is time. <laughs> okay. You guys ended with seven points. You easily won. Nice. Well nice. done. <laughs> awesome. Good job. Yeah. Good job. Good job. So, nice job. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we know our David Fincher movies. You guys know your Fincher. <laughs> well done. Well, Danny. Buff the worst Brad Pitt seven impression ever recorded anywhere that I just did, but <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> it worked, right? Yeah. Uh, Danny, before we let you go, would you like to plug anything? Yeah, I just worked on a movie called Devotion. Uh, if it's not in theaters, it's probably re available for purchase or streaming. Yeah. It's a really fun, uh, like, period drama. And uh, we just wrapped a movie called The Killer. It's another David Fincher movie. Uh, it probably will come out in the summer, okay. if I had to guess, but I don't know for certain. Okay. If you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, my so my handle's the Danny Gonzalez, yeah. and I usually post uh, behind the scenes stuff with lighting, oh, awesome. lighting. So very yeah. cool, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Danny. This was absolutely yeah, awesome. this is cool. This is really cool yeah. to hear about. It was a pleasure. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys. It was fun. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner, and me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We're all like, it's Bill Nye. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. we're, we're working with Gary Oldman, but yeah. we're like, it's Bill Nye. <laughs>